2: Hi, me fans, and welcome to P.O. Forecast, episode 102. Well, it's two games since we last spoke. No wins, but it's a good way to lose. Joining in the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Not too
3: bad. I was wondering how long it would take you to throw that little quote in there, Hugh. Absolute gem. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? At the moment, uh, interesting time to do a podcast. Looking forward to. No doubt a sea of positive messages that have come in supporting uh, supporting Jacket
2: at the moment. Oh, yes, mate. The, the positive messages have absolutely flown in. And do you know what? There is one thing I'll credit Kenny Jacket for before we start this podcast. And that's uh, coming out of that quote because it's given me a really easy way of selecting what the podcast title will be tonight.
1: Freddie Webb, how are you, mate? All right? <laughs> uh, as well as I can be, to be honest. Uh, and the one thing I will say is uh, this pod will go down fighting. We'll keep going, regardless of what the results are, unlike the team did. All right, let's get started. So, first of
2: all, we're going to review the Gilliam game. Following off on that, we're going to review the action-packed game against Doncaster. Then we put out a question to you guys, giving us loads of responses back. And you said, will Pompey make the playoffs? We ran a poll. You guys will come back with loads of stuff for us. And we'll get into that and talk about that. And then we've got Matt on from Cobbler's Vlogs to talk about the game and preview everything to do with Saturday's game against Northampton. Right, let's get into this, boys. Let's start this off. Gillingham, there's not too much to say about the game apart from congratulations, Matt, from Jills in the Blood for getting the prediction right, 1-1. See if you can get it right next time you'll come on the podcast, but it's worth a mention. Fair enough. We were hoping for a win, boys, but unfortunately, we got a draw.
1: Yeah, uh, pretty frustrating. But I think, again, it was it was very familiar, wasn't it? The first half was relatively good, especially especially the goal. Marcus Harness skinning three players, Megsing the second player and putting in a, a cross to Sean Ragger where he didn't have to do anything. It was one of those where... He just lent his head in; didn't need to put any power behind behind the cross or anything. It was an it was an exceptional goal. Then there's a defensive error, which we've seen several times, and then just a long period of ports of being pretty ineffectual going forward. I think I think we've read this book several times beforehand, haven't we?
2: Yeah, yeah, we definitely have. And I mean, I I, I did predict Sean Raddick- Raggett to score. I had a pound laying around, so uh, cheers to that, Sean. I suppose is a little consolation prize. But yeah, Freddie's already gone into the one massive highlight I wanted to see about this game, which is Marcus Harness absolutely skinning a few players and getting across him. Apart from that, we looked very second best in this game, very unable to generate any attack. Gillingham, again, played very direct football. Any opportunity they could, they put it into the box. Pompey were always second to headers. And Andy, one question I want to know about this is, what has happened to our usually dominant centre-backs in the air who win everything. The midfielders are being strong in the air as well. These one-to-one battles seem to be where Pompey are flopping.
3: I mean, you've absolutely thrown me with a big question. Yeah, it's a good question, Hugh. And you don't suddenly become bad in the air overnight. So it's a, it's a really good question. I don't know what the answer is. I think maybe rose-tinted glasses just because of what has happened since but I thought we actually created a bit in that Gillingham game in that their keeper made decent save from Curtis. Harness hit the post. I can't remember if the keeper got a touch, but I think it just hit the post early on. White nearly scored um, on the on the volley. So, I mean, we did create chances. I remember being underwhelmed after the game, but maybe because of what's happened since. It's, uh, you know, the Jill's game was actually... The better of the two performances we're looking at this week, but yeah, in terms of w- what's happening in the air, it's, a, it's an excellent question, Hugh. You you don't suddenly become bad in the air overnight, and it's a bit of a mystery. I don't
1: really know, to be honest, with you. It's a, it's been a trend for the past three games. I've I, can't, I, I don't know the starts off the top of my head, but I looked at the duels um, and the tackles compared, and Portsmouth were out tackled by big percentages in all over the pitch. The worst one for me was the offensive. Duel. So, so tackles that happen high up the pitch in in, in Gillingham's back four, we only won thirty two percent of them, and that's ridiculously low. That's a massive drop off, and that's where of usually get their chances from by forcing mistakes in the back four, where they win the ball high up the pitch and put in and putting a cross or a through ball or whatever. So if they if they can't win those balls high up the pitch in the first place, it doesn't matter how much they press. The pressing was really good in this game. It was 4.18 PPDA, which is ridiculous, again. but The frustrating thing was Portsmouth couldn't, for me, the big takeaway was Portsmouth couldn't do it for the entire 90 minutes again. There was that spell in the first half where Bonham Bonham made a string of saves. Even the direct football worked to a certain extent. There was that... um, it was, the long, it was the goal kick from Kraber gilvery Curtis knocked it onto Harrison who then knocked onto White who did a pretty good clean pretty clean effort on goal. So even the direct balls were working but <clears throat> the second half I've got it on my notes barely anything happening at all and then Jules pushed on at the end. and That is the biggest problem for me at the moment. It's just that Portsmouth can't create opportunities throughout the entire of the 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, not only they can't create opportunities, but when they have these opportunities, they just don't look like converting them. I, earlier on in the season, we had what I'd like to say, no, not like to say, we had, we're the most high-scoring team in the league. This is a team that when you put them in front of, of, of goal, generally was taking chances, or at least generating enough chances that these quality chances were turning into goals. Now, all of a sudden, and we're going to come on to this a bit later, these goals are dried up. I, I, I actually don't want to dwell on the Gillingham game, if I'm honest. It seems like a bit of a nothing result, and it's it's enough in the past now that, Freddie, unless you've got anything else to say looking down, I, I'm happy to move on. Boys, are you happy to move on?
1: Give us a nod. Uh, We've summed it up pretty well, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the only yeah. other thing was Gillingham had more XG in that game. Okay. So, Craig had more, had more chances and better chances.
2: I'm not surprised. Their actual direct football had an approach. They had players breaking off, making runs, making positive runs into the box. Pompey couldn't track them. They were losing losing the players around the back so that they could provide the head-on back. And And it looked like they were going to actually score more goals, Gillingham. I actually thought they could go on and win that game. So Pompey need to track people, first of all, running into their own box and moving around. We can't seem to pick players up. People go going missing. We looked at the game before the Gilliam game, actually. Bristol Rovers, we had similar problems, not being able to mark players, pick them up properly. Who, who is marking who in the box? You know, who is doing their job? And then going forward, there's little runs as well to create space. And as Guy Whittingham says, and we'll talk about this in the Doncaster game, it's, it's up to the players in front of the guy with the ball to make the runs and create space in order for the guy to entice the pass the ball to
1: them. Exactly. The conflict, Otherwise, you just, it's, the, it's the same if it's the centre midfielder or, the, or any of the back four. If there's no no movement in front of them, they just have to lump it long into space because they've got no other option. And then you're losing the ball in the air because you can't
2: win headers. All right, let's move on to the Doncaster game. The game We have to. We have to. People are demanding a response to this game. So the Donny game was one of those ones that we came into. Doncaster are in dreadful form. They've lost their manager. All things looked in Pompey's favour, but it didn't work out like that, did it, Andy? No. Do you <laughs> to, like, oh, you wanted me to <laughs> stand on that.
3: I mean, <laughs> I, I genuinely have no idea where to begin with this game. I mean, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the formation? Do you want to start with the levels of confidence? Let's start with the
2: lineup first. This is just decisions to start with a 3-5-2, Andy. I want to hear why you thought that was a good decision.
3: I mean, yeah, I was shouting it from the rooftops. So I was a fan of it. That 3-5-2, <laughs> unless you can correct me in terms of the last time we utilised it, the last time I remember us playing it was holding on to for the win against MK Dons in October. That's the last time I remember. And we won the game 2-1 from memory. 2-1, 1-0. One of them. We won it by one. I think it was 2-1. And we were penned in to our own thir- like final third or our own first third for the last 30 minutes of the game. And what I did was actually did some research for the podcast. Don't get too excited. But I looked at the match stats for our, our Donny game and this is me saying to Fred this is why you can't use stats for stuff when you've been watching the game if you look at the stats you'd think it was a perfectly matched game between two sides in similar places in the league and I'm not going to start going on about xg and all that bull but 13 shots each three on target Damn each you. 51 to 49 possession passes within 25 of each other, 503 to 477. Pass accuracy within 4% of each other. Exactly the same number of fouls. Number of corners, one in it. Like, I don't give a monkey's about stats, don't get me wrong. Um, but if you watch the game, it kind of just demonstrates why you can't just look at match facts and think, oh, that was an even game. Because the formation didn't work and that was predictable. Last time we used it, it didn't work. I think Hadji was put in a hiding to nothing. He was put in a position where that was never it wasn't a situation where he was going to have the opportunity to perform to the best of his ability we got three center backs one of whom is out of match fit uh, out of match fitness through being on the periphery of the squad even though he's match fit again another of the center backs who's made a number of individual mistakes recently and then Eliasson, again who's looked solid recently but again on a on a bit of hiding to nothing in that back three because it didn't work last time why would it work this time and it was just never going to work and we called that before the game. And before the game, Jordan Cross was saying that it looked like they were lining up as a back four, with Watmore at right back, like it was when he came on in the last game. And that everyone went, "What? Why? Why are they like, Why does it look like they're warming up as a back four? I preferred that to the three-five-two, and I'd have been okay with that compared to the three-five-two.
2: Lining up as a back four when you're playing as a back three—let's be honest—and it looked like that on the game. We didn't know how to play the system. Those players did not know how to play the system. My analysis is on why Jacket chose to play that system, is he looks over. You've got Johnson out right, yeah. You've got he brings Charlie Daniels in after the mistake with Lee Brown. He's sort of rewarding players based on mistakes, etc. He brings Daniels in and he has Minoga to play on the right. Okay. And he looks at those two players and he goes, They're probably better fitted actually to be wing backs rather than to be, you know, in, in a left back, right back position role. He's got three centre-backs now fit. He wants to include Jack Watmore back into the team. Who knows why? But he puts the three in. We know Jack should start, but Jacket was sort of you know, leaving him out. He brings him in. He plays the three centre-backs, and then he plays two wing-backs he thinks can play that system. So I, I, he's overthought this massively, hasn't he? He's really overthought this. He's looked at the players available to him. He's, he's rolled the dice. It hasn't worked. Do we give him any credit for changing the system partway through the first half, Freddie?
1: It of a hot take, to be honest. I thought they played better with the three-five-two than four at the back in the first half. The change, it might have been due to the goal as well, because their heads looked as if their heads went. <clears throat> I genuinely thought they played better with the 3-5-2 than the back four in the first half, but I think they had to change it simply because you could tell from the first twenty minutes they weren't they weren't familiar with the back three whatsoever. Fred, all the, over
3: the place. playing that three at the back the amount of space in on the left of the left of the left playing centre back and the amount of space to the right of the right playing centre back players getting in behind Haji Minoga and Daniels they, there's so much space there that was the cause of the first goal and
1: I, I, I fundamentally disagree with you there if I'm honest Fred it's alright um <laughs> On paper, it's not a bad system. but I, 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 And they wanted to press Doncaster's midfield a lot, and they just didn't. And that's why they were getting all that space. If you look for the first goal, Donnie's centre midfielder had all the time in the world to pick that pass. It didn't matter how many... It didn't matter if it was basically a bat fire by that point. He just picked a perfect fast, even even though Menoga missed the interception, fine. But... And then, yeah, phew, uh, rough. Very rough, first off.
2: It's not just this for Hadji, because I really was... One of the bizarre things in <laughs> this game was the substitutions and the sort of formation shake-up that Jacket implemented on the game, wasn't it? When you go to a back four and he makes those changes... I I was absolutely bemused the fact he takes off Haji Minoga, who can slot in at right-back. If you're not asking him to play this wing-back system, we saw him play at right-back. He played good there. He played fine. He looked good going forward, but he's put into a a position he knows there, and within the team anyway, that he's played. You keep three central defenders on and push one of them to right-back, who's got no pace. We've seen this happen before when he had no right-back, when Burgess had to put out wide. And he did all right in that system. But let's be honest, Watmore's not a right-back. It's an absolutely mad decision. Now, you could say, all right, Haji Minoga had a few things that he was out of position for. You know, oh, we're taking him off for that. Watmore got burnt burnt in that first half over and over again and that's not a criticism of Jack Watmore that's a criticism of the manager for putting him in a position where he's not going to succeed what in his right mind made him think take Hadji off and put Watmore there?
3: This is exactly what I mean mate in terms of players being put up for a hiding to nothing it's in some circumstances it's I don't like reading on social media that players are getting smashed for individual mistakes in certain positions because players are being put in positions by the system that don't play to their strengths. So we've seen Raggett completely shown up in one-on-one situations against strikers recently. We're seeing, yeah, as you say, Jack Watmore, you're right, he got burnt in that first half. That is the appropriate term, multiple times. And then gets pushed out. He doesn't want to play it right back, surely. He's a centre-back. He's always played a center Why would he want to suddenly play an entirely different role? And as you say, then, I I don't understand the taking Minogar off. Like, he is an impact player. He's still learning the trade at this level. Don't get me wrong. That's completely natural. He's not had enough minutes yet to be, to sort of feel completely natural at this level, but he's an impact player that does something that runs at the opposition. And again, we're going to talk about the other subs, I'm sure, but then you go two nil down and bring on Lee Brown. And we all know I'm a massive advocate for Lee Brown. I'm a huge fan. I think he's an excellent player, does the job well, solid enough with the exception of one little chest back to the goalkeeper. But what's the thinking with that sub? I I don't know if it's me being really obtuse. I don't understand the logic behind it in any way.
2: What a word that was.
3: Which one, mate? Obtuse? Obtuse. Uh, word of the day toilet paper. Can't recommend it enough.
2: <laughs> obtuse. <I'm... laughs> All right, let's, let's roll it back to the first goal quickly. Doncaster get the first goal. And after Johnsy pointed out that Pompey haven't won a game or something after going 1-0 down in nearly two years... I'm sure some people decided to switch the TV off right then and just, you know, that was the end of it. Obviously, we're not going to do that. You know, we love the game too much, etc. But when Pompey had the opportunities to score right at the start, once again, it's a familiar pattern, isn't it, of strikers not being able to take potential chances, Pompey look a bit dangerous, they put a bit of early pressure on, doesn't materialise, suddenly they're hit, they can see the goal and the shoulders drop, the heads drop... And it's just more the same all over again. It looks like it's getting worse. And for me, this is not just a problem of we're not playing well. This is not a problem of there's small issues, the ball isn't bouncing well, or a good way to lose, as Jacket put it. This is a problem where it looks like, and I can't say it is, but it looks to me like the players' heads are dropped and something's happened between the coaching the board level and the players in order for it to come out like this. And we're going to come on to this a bit more later, but it's pretty clear to see that something's not
1: right with this team. It's happened too many times just to be an off thing, hasn't it? There have been so many times where Portes have had a stri- string Apache form where as soon as it's the defensive, for example, even if Portes take the lead, as soon as it's the defensive error, bam, all their life just drops out of the team entirely. And it's even worse if the opposition takes the first goal. I mean, how many consolation goals or thoughts are scored in the in the last minute that don't matter? A lot. It's probably a, I, It might be a lack of faith in in the staff, but we we will never know that for sure.
3: I think there's there's definitely something going on. I think I'd echo your sentiments here. In, in all seriousness, that there, there's something going on off the pitch. There, it's it's a different side, and it's not just confidence in seeing out results. That there is something happening, and I mean, I- that's right. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just little things on the pitch. You're seeing in terms of body language, in terms of, I mean, again, I'm, I'm never one to come on here and like gang up on individual players ever, ever, ever. But in terms of like body language, when if we go back to that Lee Brown mistake that cost us a goal against the Jills, when that went in, Naylor was outside the box, literally just turned around and walked off. There's no, no one went to Lee Brown. And spoke to him or said, like, you know, when you see, normally when people give away a penalty or make a mistake, or especially when a keeper makes a mistake, defenders will go to him and say, come on, head up. There's there's no point being down about this. It just looked looked like no
1: camaraderie, was there?
3: Yeah, no one went to Brown after that individual mistake that I could see. And the captain just walked off. He was about 10 yards away and walked off. And there were lots of other little signs that, that concerned me.
2: Yeah, and I mean, like, let's let's have a look into this. Do you know what? The Doncaster game is so dire. We're going to be off topic here, but Pompey are 1-1, w- drawn one and lost three since the 10th of February. And on the 10th of February, there's an article written in the news, Mark Catlin's wage warning for Pompus, Pompey's 11 out-of-contract players. During this time, Mark Catlin talks about how the players need to readjust their um, readjust their expectations towards wages um, and you know, from what we've heard from from various people, basically, people aren't happy with it. Now, I'm looking at this and saying that there's obviously a situation. You look at and you think it can't all be down to that. But when you have a very settled squad, and all we're talking about is how well, this team is together, how close-knit squad this is, Cameron Pring coming out saying how close the side are together, and they looked like it on the pitch. They came out, Tom Nader led this team out there, they dominated in the centre of midfield, they took control of games, and they looked like a team that you wanted to follow. And then all of a sudden, the salary cap, oddly, gets like binned, which you would have thought would be a good thing for this football club. This will be the time we go out and go to these players. Do you know what? We do value you, and we can pay you what you deserved. But it seems to be the case, and I can't say for certain. We're just looking at what's what's been laid out and what's been said. It seems to be the case that the players have been unsettled by the fact that the salary cap is being removed, and they're not being offered what they deserved.
1: Yeah, and I they're mean, probably they're probably unsettled by the fact that there seems to be no sign of contract talks whatsoever, like last season and the season before that. I get the, and the defence of oh, if you give one player a contract, you'll unsettle the rest of them. Well, you're going to unsettle them if you give nobody a contract. You you offer the best players out of the ones that are expiring new deals, and proper new deals that you don't shortchange them, and and then that sends a message to the to the players who are on the fringes saying you're playing for a contract now. Look at what let's say. For example, Tom Naylor, Jack Watmore, and Craig McGilvery all got extensions. That you're now saying to the rest, of the rest of the players, look, we trust our our core players. If you perform for the rest of the season, you might earn yourself an extension because we can and we'd offered it. The fact that and what he
3: was saying there, Freddie, what he was saying there is about the extensions potentially not, even if they are offered, potentially the quality of the extension in terms of wage isn't what it should be. That's what's implied mm-hmm. by what Hugh's saying there. And I mean, it's something when, when this salary cap being abolished thing came on, it was the week I was last on Express with Jake in the evenings. And we were talking about um, the effect that, that would have on players if the salary cap had come in. And I was saying, yeah, if I really enjoyed my job. And if I, but if someone says to me, look, you're taking a 30% pay cut, do you want to still do it? I would absolutely not. I would disappear and get a different job or work elsewhere. And even if the salary cap has gone and is being abolished, if that is a sort of message that it sounds like might have been hinted at from what from what Hughes just read out, that's going to have an effect. And like you, you can't say that causation is there, like correlation doesn't equal causation. That's a big thing in stats. But if there's a correlation there, it's like a it can be a warning sign or just like a, a, a hint to look a bit more closely. And I think we do need to do that.
2: Yeah. And let's look at this quote from Mark Catlin. Let's not run away with ourselves and be realistic that previous contracts, agreed with players and extensions and options were at pre-COVID levels when the club was generating £10 million plus in revenue. Those days are gone. We now live in a COVID economy and we will negotiate with players and any member of staff on what is affordable to us. Now, I understand to a certain level that the club needs to balance books. We have been losing money. They've been leaking money, et cetera. But if that's the case, might as well publicly come out and say that these players who are potentially going to be offered championship contracts, a few of the best players, Craig McGivory, maybe Jack Watmore, depending on health issues. Tom Naylor could definitely do a job for a promoted team into the, into the championship. And I'm sure people know that as well. We just have to accept then, if that's the case, let's hang the white flag up and let's accept the season it might be over then because these players already think they're out the door if that's the case.
3: Yeah, but I mean um, to sort of counterpoint that when we spoke to Mark Last at the start of last lockdown and we weren't even thinking about player contracts at that point and we said, you know, financially what is the situation in terms of the losses we're likely to be making a month without fans being in etc and his words were we'll be one of the last clubs to go down and if Pompey do go down most of the rest of the league will have gone first and that was based off the salaries at that point. Unless they'd already planned forward twelve months and thought right, twelve months contracts extensions and renewals were going to have to sort of either not increase wages or actually and, decrease them, then I I don't think that's necessarily the issue. I mean, don't get me wrong, like financial responsibility is is everything. Don't get me wrong, i we we can't just hear and go oh no, just chuck money at them because we have been burned heavily before by that. But the fact that he said that last year with the players on the wages they were on last year. I, I, I don't know, mate. It doesn't yeah, quite add up to me.
2: What I would like to say again as well to, to, the, to anyone listening really is that if you don't sign these players at market rate, you're going to have to either pay a transfer fee for other players to get good players and then you're going to have to pay the market rate anyway or you go out and buy or bring in worse players than we have now on cheaper contracts or you find more loans together... This is not a case of we've got these players at the club who are embedded into the team. These players are only going to get market rate for what they deserve or whatever. We're going to have to spend that money on players whoever we get. So coming out and saying that we're not going to pay that amount of money just means we're not going to pay for those gooder players, which means that we're accepting for next season we're going to have a much worse squad than we're on now if we don't go up. And I'm looking at it now thinking, doesn't look like we're going up. And we'll come on to what your thoughts are, guys, on this in a minute. And the poll that I ran on, will we be going even make the playoffs? Because we need to pay some players. We might as well pay the good players we've got here and not have to go out and spend, I don't know, half a million quid, a million pounds, whatever, on a good player to replace them.
3: Just touch, uh, uh, th- touch on something you said there, Hugh, about like the, the transparency and, and actually just say, coming out and saying, look, this is the situation. If, if the club come out and say that and say, look, this is, well, is an X amount per month this is the amount of months that would be sustainable for however if i know you can't come out and actually talk about specific player wages because that's grossly inappropriate but if the club come out and say look this is the financial situation we're having to be savvy with contract negotiations that's why we've not entered into these extensions yet until the end of the season because we want to know how the lifting of lockdown goes etc we want to get a better idea of where things are going to go over the next six to twelve months or anything along those lines if they just came out and said that look we The reason we haven't offered these extensions yet is because we need to have a more concrete idea of where we're going to be financially. And they were transparent, absolutely fine, but it's, it's radio silence. That's the issue. It's radio silence and it is leaving us to second guess quotes from staff members from the club in interviews from six weeks ago and trying to put the pieces together as to why players are looking disinterested on the pitch and the evidence points in one direction that we're talking about here, that we might be out of line. I don't think we are factually way out here, but we might be. But look at the amount of speculation it's causing. and It's damaging. If there's some transparency there, then everything changes. We just don't have that. It's just the radio silence is frustrating on it.
2: Can't play players or won't pay players? That's the question I want mm-hmm. to know. Because at the end of the day, you've got to pay players to play for the football club. This is the football team that requires players to be put on the pitch. And if you don't have a first-choice goalkeeper, your best centre-back and your captain in the centre midfield, you need to go out and replace those players in those roles as well, not just fill in Brim Morris-style players who can just come in and patch up, because that's not going to make this team good enough to get promoted. And he says that Mark Catlin did come on the podcast and he talked about how we're one of the you know best-off clubs in the league and financially stable. Well, let's see if other teams around us are going to potentially make the same decisions as us, or are they actually going to go out and sign some players? Because I just want to know, are we going to have to pay back all the money now to, to balance the books out that we the, the the owners have had to prop the club up with to make it 100% sustainable? Are we going to have to make up for the losses of £10 million that Mark Catlin's talking about? I think I just want to jump anyone? in there
3: quickly, if that's all right. I just want to caveat that because it was me, you name-dropped me there I was quoting. I'm not saying that he came on and said everything was fine and stable, etc. He came on and said, look, things aren't great, we're losing money, but we've got the ability to last longer than most clubs. I think it's an important, it's a slight distinction
2: there between the two. Okay. In the league comparisons, as Andy pointed out, we're fine. And I don't think that's the case that other clubs have not gone out to sign players. Um, okay. I'm just going to move this on to listen to what everyone else has to say, because we've got a lot of comments to get through. Um, Thank you everyone again for messaging in. It's really appreciated. It makes the show and yeah, we really appreciate it. So Ollywood's message is in. He says, we have a favourable run in, so I do think we'll limp across the line into the playoffs, but ultimately not go up. Get a new manager in with a new philosophy and start to rebuild what will be a very depleted squad. Play out Pompey.
1: I'll take on that. Um, On the second point, they're not going to change the manager now. I think we knew that for time eternal, that they're not going to change the manager now and this season will be whatever this season will be. Um, in terms of ports of making the play, even making the playoffs now. A few weeks ago, we were saying, "Oh, they'll make the playoffs." We almost brushed it off and, and said, "Oh, we might not get automatics, but we might make the playoffs." Now, if they continue playing like that, there's not a chance in hell. Not a chance in hell. If you look at you look at some of the mid-table sides, they're playing so much better than ports of our They have an identity, they have a tactical philosophy, and they and they have players players who have something to prove because they look at they look at the um, the playoff places and go. Oh, it's only two wins off. We're only two wins off. This team could do it. And if we sneak in the playoffs, then anything can happen. And Portsmouth have seemed to have done their usual of like of look like they're fine one minute, and then the next uh, the sky's falling in.
3: I think to to jump on that, Fred. I think that's the case for a lot of clubs in the league, though. And I'm not defending. I'm not going to come here and be uber positive, but you you could say that everything's rosy and fine and the results being put together, and then the sky falls in about most of the teams at some point this season already towards the top of League One. And I'm not saying that that's acceptable and I'm not saying that ours is any better or worse or whatever. But that is a theme. You could say that at times Sunderland's world has been falling apart and they are now two points above us, which is quite frankly disgusting considering where things were. You could say that Ipswich's world has been falling apart. They're now two points below us. Like That's a, that's a common trend in League One for everyone to have these big dips in form.
1: I think the problem is it's happened to Portsmouth for three years.
3: Yeah, I'm not three I'm not completely disagreeing. I'm word. just playing devil's advocate here a little bit.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean, the problem with Portsmouth is there is absolutely no consistency and I know what you're saying but if you look at teams who have got promoted out of this league, Barnsley, those are teams that put together consistent runs and manage to get promoted on the basis of picking up the majority of wins against teams they need to play against and, and get those wins. They don't go on barren spells where you've got one win in, five games, stuff like that. That's not promotion winning form. Every team drops points. That's fine. That's just how how the league goes. But with Pompey, it seems to be start slow, pick up, go slow again after Christmas, try and rescue something near the end of the season, ultimately not get there. And then be burnt out by not rotating the squad when we ultimately get in the playoffs. Christopher Moat messages in with our form and the form of other teams around us I can't see us getting the playoffs the players keep talking about how the attitude and togetherness is the strongest there's ever been in the team so why aren't we seeing the evidence of that a complete lack of desire and fight
1: yeah the the, the tweets after the game trying to big up the spirit of the side and how they're all together from the captain Tom Naylor and from Jack Watmore as well to try and get the fans to believe in the players on the pitch rather than <clears throat> the backroom staff. That's how I read it. Because in interviews, Kenny Jackett's just obviously deflecting a lot of the stuff from the players, which is a good idea for a manager, to be brutally honest. Because when nowadays, when you see a manager dig out a player in in a, pre, in a post-match or a press conference, that player's, their form just drops even further. But the, play, the player's not showing it for me at the moment. In terms of not in terms of effort, in terms of quality, most of the time, the defensive, the individual defensive errors are one too many.
3: Do you like I think that you're talking about the spirit of the team there, and you don't buy it at the moment. I'm George. Byers has just put an Instagram story out with a picture of him on the pitch saying "cream always rises to the top," and then a very unhappy emoji just below it. People are not happy in the dressing room. You cannot tell me they're happy. You can't. I'm not buying it. However many interviews you say in, not buying it.
2: No, no. Ryan Stillwell messages in, he says, when Pompey couldn't perform at home, their salvation came in the form of their waveform. When they couldn't win in the second half, their salvation came in the first half. Pompey are now starting to lose both of those. So where exactly can Pompey save their season now?
1: You have to go back to basics a bit. In terms of in terms of in terms of tactics, especially, they have to go back to the pressing four four two that won them all those games it, it, around Christmas. They have to do that, and if you don't, and if you don't think the first team players have got the energy to do that, then rotate this side. You have to rotate the side to be able to do that. The results that ports have got away, a whole city is an example, and so many others. They they were done entirely on an aggressive pressing four four two, and it, it seems that that's been completely binned. They just have to get back to what they know. Yes, the I looked at the three five two and went, oh, if they if they went through that properly in training on paper, that's not bad. But then after twenty minutes, it was clearly not working. They've got to employ They've got to impose how they play on the opposition, and then once that happens, there'll be a difference in terms of how if Portsmouth, for example, draw with Northampton on Saturday, but they absolutely bat them and just and couldn't score. That, that that's different to. Not looking like they're creating anything, and and players not look at looking like they know what they're doing. Jeff
2: Harris messages him: the power of the Pompey fans in the ground has been underestimated for years. Yes, we moan etc., but we urge them on and give them a lift, which is what's needed and what's required now. But we can't do this, and this season is going to be a long and painful feeling until the end.
3: I mean. Players have come out previously and talked about that one of the reasons we were, you know, pick, struggling to pick up for some results and drawing a lot at home, not winning games and playing on the back foot was because of the pressure of the crowd. You can't have it both ways.
1: Can't and also, of- every, every other team is dealing with the same thing, with no fans being in the stand. So if I don't, I don't, I don't think that washes for me.
2: Yeah, Ryan still will reply to that, just saying if you're a squad with great character, you shouldn't need eighteen thousand fans to get you going, as you have the inner and collective strength to do it yourselves. Pompey clearly can't at home, which proves mental frailty, which sort of goes on from what we are saying. Pompey has a, has a message in, not with Jacket, rather sack him now and give the new manager the most time he can to get ready for next year. We've given up on the season, boys. Have you packed it in?
3: Not packed it in. Um I think you'd be foolish to do that looking at the table. you're there and thereabouts. you can't write it off. I mean, up until maybe a week ago, we i mean I compared our league position a couple of weeks ago to where it was at the same time the season we won League two, and we are way closer to the top of the table than we were then, and I'm not saying it's complete parallel because different teams were playing against better teams, et cetera. but you can never say never and we're still there for the we're still there or thereabouts for the playoffs, but it's the manner of the performances that are the concern. And if we were sort of losing sort of smash and grab games and it was, you know, being the wrong side of the coin, then yeah, fair enough. But Doncaster were better than us. They were more dangerous than us and they were better than us. And no one who watched that game or didn't will convince me otherwise. And no managerial quote saying it was a good loss and no player quote saying that things are good in the dressing room is going to convince me of stuff that I can see with my own eyes being wrong. And that's the concern for me. But Andy, they had a, a
1: according to Jacket, we had a decent basis in the second half.
3: Goad me every time. I'm not. I'm not biting, Fred.
1: Adam Dark messages in. He says, poorly coached, lacking
2: real quality, and an absence of mental strength. Powerful cocktail. That I think people are feeling your pain there, Adam. mate. I think I appreciate. It. Rob Hutchinson messages in. Will limp over the line and somehow win the playoff semi-finals on pens after a lacklustre, toothless display over two legs, complete with a bizarre team selection will then win the final with an own goal, go up, and Kenny Jacket will sign a five-year extension. Don't say that. Uh, that's <laughs> a good question. I want to put this out there to you guys. Would you take promotion to the Championship if Kenny Jacket signs a five-year extension?
1: Oh, God. What a yep. question that is. Yep. Oh, my God. I'm going to be in a minority
3: here, I would. Pompey are a Championship team. If it gets a promotion to the Championship, you look at clubs at the start of the season if they are then embroiled in a relegation battle, whether or not it's a five-year contract. And yeah, okay, financially, are very, very responsible and might be one of the last clubs to consider it. But we're a championship side. If it gets us into the championship, which is that big, tough tough step, then our recruitment will be different. We spoke about it with Mark Catlin like two years ago. If we got promoted that year, our recruitment would have been totally different over summer. So I don't, I don't see how you could possibly say, no, I don't want to get promoted if it means we keep the manager.
1: Uh, I second that, actually, for one major reason. The gap between League One and the Championship is only going to get bigger. It's only going to get bigger the more that Portsmouth aren't in it. Even if it's a season where Portsmouth get promoted, they keep the manager and they look at it financially and go, oh, we're going to invest a bit, but not nowhere near enough to stay up and we just get relegated again. Long-term financially, that's even better than the club staying in League One at the moment. And I, I generally believe if if that happened and Portsmouth got relegated, then Kane Jack would be out the door anyway, regardless of a contract extension.
2: Yeah, five years is going to be is a hard one to take. I mean, you know, let's not let's not give out Paul Lambert.
3: They're, they're not they're not going to do it. They'd never do a five year. That's like Alan Pardew, Paul Lambert levels. That's just stunningly irresponsible. Even as a hypothetical, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah,
2: yeah. They're not they're not going to commit that much money to. It, I agree, but the fact is, yeah, is that I do I think if we got promoted, I and mean, you with Kelly Jacket your bottom of the championship halfway through the season it will force them to make a change quicker than it would in League One because of the financial implications of going down that season rather than what it is here of middling around I can see that being um, being a big factor George Stevens messages in he says hopefully 52 points is enough to stay up <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> I, is, I, I do. I do find that funny. It, it is relegation form, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. playing like a relegated side at the moment. But yeah, you've just got to hope that Portsmouth have a few lucky games. Where do you remember against Burton earlier in the season, where Marcus Harness got that hat trick and completely dragged the side to a win? They might not have even deserved we just need hope for a few of those games
2: yeah come on there's got to be other sides in this league that are worse than us alfredo 20 matches in he says nothing like nothing nobody looks like they want it and the tactics have been poor change up the management needed and shake up needed in the summer we're with you mate i just don't think it's going to happen at this moment in time with jacket i think it's going to be we've been saying this all season the, comm- board ge- the board the board committed to him to the end of the season yeah. right it's going to happen, then we'll see what's going to, where it goes. And let's just hope, because I'm going to be on a war path. If we don't go up and they resign
1: Kenny jacket, then we're all going to get together and work out what the hell we're going to do. But can a, you imagine the crowd if that happens? What, back? Can, you, ma- of can you imagine if it's full crowds next season, first game back of the season, and that and they extend him if we don't get promoted? My God.
2: Let's not think about that. Baza messages in on the last on last night's game and previous performances. Quite frankly, the answer is no to going up to the playoffs. Yeah, that's fair enough. Short and sweet. Cods Johnson messages in some managers, players will run through walls for out of respect, fear, or admiration. It makes them a great man. Oh, sorry, makes them great man managers. The ability to get that extra 10% out of players. I don't see Jacket in this category. Players don't seem up for playing for him and he can't get them up for it. Well, it could be Jacket, but we've also said the club, you know, the club might have upset them at a board level for not giving them contract offers. And in of the day, Kenny Jacket can't go round to Mark Catlin. We probably could, but go to the owners, you know, you need to offer Tom Naylor three times more the money. Comes back and they go, no. Well, you know, what are you going to do about it? So there's a little bit of. Uh, I'm not really sure where this goes, but at the same time, if players are actually upset about contract negotiations, that section of it can't really place all on all on Kenny Jacket.
3: Yeah, I agree, mate. agree with that. I think the yeah. buck has got to stop with him to a certain extent for a number of decisions. But as you say, there will be things going on above his head that he's not running the show in terms of. So I think we have to bear that
2: in mind. Ian Joseph's message in. He says, no, nope, bunch of bottle jobs. Well, on the game performance against Doncaster, Ian, I've got to say, I agree with you, mate. Ollie Wood's message is in. He says, we have a favorable run in. No, nope, I've already read that one out. Cheers, Ollie. It was so good. I wanted to read it twice. James messages in for me. It's about three players positions. Naylor and Johnson have been absolutely running to the ground with no backups to sub on. The- There's no backups to sub in their place. The results of this is Naylor play being far more conservative than it was prior to January. We miss him in the attacking build-up. Freddie, we I completely agree. miss the attacking build-up, don't we? We miss players making runs and creating space and just being generally more creative.
1: It was the reason why the previous f- philosophy worked. Completely. The, it, it, even when the front four was pressing, either the fullbacks or one of the centre midfielders came up and offered an outball. If you don't offer an outboard, there's just a huge gap in midfield, which the opposition can exploit, and that's why they shelve that formation and style of play because they look at they're looking at it and going, "Oh well, the players are knackered, and I don't trust the squad the, the squad to fill in." Look at, it, 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 I know, I, I know it's a bit of beating a dead horse, but how Geordie Huler hasn't had more than quarter of an hour in a game is absurd to me. How. I don't get that. How George Byers hasn't had more game time, especially with Tom. Na- I know Tom Naylor's knackered, and if you, but if you take him out, then the the entire midfield structure goes away a bit. You've just got to put your faith in the squad, um, especially now with only like two two weeks of not having Saturday, Tuesday. You've got to just trust your squad. You have to. There's no other way around it.
2: James goes on to say that he thinks we've missed, uh, we've actually missed Callum Johnson at right back. I think it's fair enough to say, sort of, you know, Johnson was playing well. Yeah, he put some good balls into the box. I like his play. I think he's been one of the best players for us this season, actually. Steady, decent, defensively well. Jules, you wouldn't have seen him getting burnt like Jack Watmore in that right back position, actually, the other day. However, I don't think it's the reason why we're not, we're not doing as uh, doing well, but it's a good point there there James Chris Harris messages in management's the problem side is 10th to 6th range current manager will get us to 8th shocking Mrs L messages him. it is but the decision making on the pitch does my head in dribble into players when they should pass pass when they should shoot mid control the ball under no pressure it does my head in well look Mrs L I think that's the first time you messaged in and I like the passion to that one yeah this sort of sums up the sort of uh <laughs> the, the it sounds like we're all
1: pitch. feeling it. Like, to be <laughs>
3: honest.
2: Uh, didn't really know how to phrase that. Andy? The,
3: thing is, the, the pace of play has been one of the issues in previous or well, recent weeks, right? So one of the things that seems to be a theme at the moment is that we, we end up somehow always being up against two banks of four that we can't break down. Play slows down at that final third. Opposition teams get back in those two banks of four and we don't have the quality to break them down looks very like oh you know it's near or near about not, can't quite get that you know that flick on or that one last little touch or whatever it's always very close to, to being successful but it is never really successful whereas previously that quicker pace of play this is why I, I want to see potentially Harness and Marquist playing up top or Harness just behind Marquist and sort of a Coppinger Rob but ideally Harness and Marquist up top when Harness was there previously he was doing bits scoring frequently and looking dangerous and then someone like Byers playing in CM because he's got that incisive pass that he's demonstrated when he started for the team. For me, that's centre of the park. If you've got Byers, Naylor, and then up top, you've got um, Harness and Marquis, I think there's incision there. And then you can have someone like Elliot on the left and Williams on the right. And to me, that to me that's already more dangerous. That's just my personal opinion. That's, that's where I'd play our front six, but then you have some pace to the game and you've got that incisive passing we don't have at the moment and it just slows down near the opposition's back four and then their their midfield four gets back and we can't break them down because we haven't got that quality because
2: we're a league one side. Who's the best passers in this team? Let's look at it now and look at who we've got on the pitch. Having to think about the three best players I think who can pass the ball for us in a creative way it's got to be Byers, White and Jacobs. That would be my initial feelings.
3: I don't feel like we've got the sample size to really do a definite answer on that because, well, Byers especially has played so little. I'd agree. I think Nikolaison's got to be in with no, a shout no, as well. No no
2: no, 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 no. We've watched. I've watched Byers play for Swansea in the Okay, Champions I've not seen game. them at Pompey, so I games. I can't say the same thing. Playing in that position, and and I think it's fair to say that he's a better passer than most of the other midfielders we've got.
3: Okay, I can't make that judgment because I've not seen that number of Swansea games. That's what I'm saying, mm. and I think. In terms of what I just said about the other teams getting back and getting their banks in and us struggling to break them down, for me, the passer that's actually done a decent job of doing that is Nikolaiason, which isn't his responsibility. And he's looked like his balls trying to split through the midfield have looked really dangerous on the ground at times. His
1: range of passing as well.
3: Yeah, but that shouldn't be his responsibility. That's not the style of play that suits us. And it's, it's not what succeeded earlier in the season.
2: But I think this all comes from the fact that going forward, we don't have the movement. The strikers are shot and out of, out of form. They're not confident in what they're doing. They're not confident they're making the right runs. They're sort of endlessly chasing things down with absolutely no input on where they should be. John Marcos, when he plays, he's not getting in the right positions in the box to score. He sort of drifts around the pitch. He's working hard, you know, credit to that, but he's not being in the positions at the moment to score. And when he is in the position to score, he doesn't look like he's going to score. Just on confidence, Ellis Harrison. is like three goals or something in
1: twenty odd games. You know, he uh, hot take. He he takes away more from the side than he gives. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's the problem with playing a car, a target man in a Kenya jacket system. It's it's nothing personal against how he plays. It's just whenever Harrison's on the pitch, I know that there'll be no movement in the midfield and the centre half will have it have to lump it long to him so he can head it on to whoever.
2: And let's be honest, jacket went back to the Marquis and Harrison tried and tested formation against Doncaster. You know, the dynamic duo that worked really well up front for us all season. They obviously don't fit each other stylistically. You know, I don't see why we don't play Marquis up front with someone like Harness or Curtis and just give something new a go and you've got two strikers that clearly don't play well together. Or oh, who were they?
1: I, 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 you could even try it if you wanted. Who? If you, if you, wanted, two, if you wanted two more poachers up front why not
2: <laughs> yeah yeah Um. quickly go to a few more people Barnaby Haig-White's messages in he says us as fans understand why the club have been patient with jacket and COVID so long but surely if we want to save our season a clear change in leadership is needed the tactics appear bizarre and the substitution's inept the players themselves look devoid of confidence and inspiration although yes we did have good spells early in the season but this can't be an excuse again to Again, because fundamentally in the three and a half seasons jackets has been in charge, we've made no progress on the pitch and the current team is arguably worse than the league two winning side. It's clear that the talent, there's talent there in abundance, but without a manager who can mold them into a successful team, we're doomed to repeat the same old story of every season Jacket's had. It's getting clearer and clearer. He won't be around next season. So much so, I hope we don't get promotion don't don't ask for that again because you could be around by the way you know don't count your chickens. So that isn't given a contract extension, which I say is probably the opinion of many now given the last few weeks. We know Kenny's limits we've had three seasons to come up with the goods surely it's someone else's turn now. I think you're right here and I understand Barnaby, but you, you would think common sense would say that jacket wouldn't get a contract extension if we don't get promoted. That's not a given mate Yeah I think I think you need to literally think that. Because in this sort of system where who's who's available, who's available for what money, they're probably not going to go out and pay someone a substantial amount of money to take their manager.
1: Yeah, it would have to be someone unemployed. They're not paying compensation for anybody. And all the other managers you've thought about,
2: you know, maybe more instance he's gone We wouldn't have minded him he's gone to Wednesday Paul Cook obviously he's gone to Ipswich and I know people have said that oh there's no managers out there so the paid devil's advocate some of them are going to get fired or leave their jobs Um, so there will be turnover but there's no dead cert that if you don't get promoted Jacket's not here and some people seem to think we tanked the season Jacket's gone great yay in league one without Jacket that's just simply not the case the board like him and from conversations I've had with other people in the game, they really like him more so than other people do in the game from other clubs. Okay, so you could see Kenny Jacket quite feasibly coming back with Pompey finishing ninth this season. I'm just saying that could happen.
1: It, uh, it can. They they could look at they could look at all the candidates available and go, well, all the ones we wanted. Well, if they're already at clubs, they're not paying compensation. If they look at the unemployed managers and don't rate them, then they're gonna go with what they know, aren't they?
3: As the devil you know, Freddie, apparently. I think for me that would that would be the thing that swings my opinion. If let's say hypothetically we don't even make the playoffs and then there's a contract renewal. For me, I mean I've I'm a diehard advocate for the Eisners and for Mark Catlin. I really like him as a bloke and I think he's got the best interests of his club at heart and I will defend that at the moment and I have done for years and will continue to I hope if yeah if if we don't even make the playoffs and then we renew and we accept mediocrity and that to me will say look previously we've been division one or and then championship side that is what Pompey had been defined as for me if we don't even make the playoffs and then we renew the managerial contract after three years and no legacy for, okay yeah sorry four years it'd be three plus one wouldn't it because they renewed after one year um for me, that would say that they've redefined Pompey as a third tier club, and they've accepted that, and to me, that is mediocrity, and that is going against what was sort of the message that was put across when the Eisners came into the club in terms of doing everything to get back to where we belong in the championship, which is where I do think we we sort of our our resting level should be. So that would be that would be a game changer for me, I think, in terms of attitude.
1: Yeah, it would show no ambition to even even risk potentially something better. The board might be worried that oh, if we stack a Kenny Jacket and then we don't extend some of the players, then Portsmouth might be it might be like a mid-table side in the short term. Well, if they are, they are. But if there's a clear direction, then it's worth it. It always was. Well, Fred, if I- we
3: miss out on playoffs, then we are a mid-table side by definition. No, I meant next season. Oh, next season. Okay, fair enough. Mm.
2: Let's go for a couple more. Peter Bir- um, Beard, then Peter. Peter. Brierley. Sorry, mate, I've really not got your name right. Sadly, no chance, he says. That was worth it for that for that one. <laughs> Lynn Warner messages in, she says, no. Mm-hmm. Ian Joseph messages in, he says, no way. He attaches that kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but from Lidl, the big on getting the jackets out post, which has been put up. It's a poster that Lidl, Lidl have. So uh, back Lidl, change your shops, Audi out. That's what I'm saying now. Get yourselves <laughs> to <the> Lidl. <laughs> This is what we've come to. All right. on that on that lovely note, I think we should move on to the interview with Matt. We spoke to Matt from the Cobblers Vlogs, another guy we've uh, we know fairly well. We've been chatting to. He's a great guy, really knowledgeable. Northampton. If you want to know how Bryn Morris is doing, and we all know you do, have a listen to our chat about Northampton with Matt from the Cobblers Vlogs. All right, I'm here with Matt from Cobblers Vlogs. Of so Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: No worries. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to, or maybe not so much, looking forward to chatting about the Cobblers, um, considering the way that we're playing it. But uh, we beat Plymouth last night, so so not too bad, at the it?
2: Well, I think you're uh, you're doing a little bit better than us in that sense. Uh, you sound a lot more upbeat than maybe some of the tweets and messages that we've been talking about already on the podcast.
0: <laughs> um, I wouldn't go that far whatsoever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, we haven't won. Last night was our first win in twenty twenty one. Um, so it was, you know, the the difference kind of a win can make to your mood. And I've had, you know, a much more productive day today than I have probably for, you know, every day so far this year. So yeah, it's it's been okay. Um last night it really was really good just to get that win on the board finally under caretaker management. But yeah, happy at the minute, kind of, still kind of expecting to go down. But you know, a win's a win and you know, you're not gonna be unimpressed when you win a game of football, are you? So
3: Why is it that you think you're struggling with consistency a bit? As you said, it's your first win in 2021, but you've got some all right results in there in terms of draws. Like you've drawn away at Accrington Stanley and at Ipswich, who are, you know, up around the top half of the league. Why is it that you're not able to maybe convert in some of the lesser teams in the league, do you think?
0: Um, I think it's, well, obviously um, the Accrington draw was Keith Kerr was still in charge. um, And then we lost to Wigan on on the Tuesday night after, and, and he lost his job. As, as he should have really. And then obviously John Brady's come in um, under Keith Kerr. I don't know if you guys know, but we're, we were very direct. Keith Kerr was very stubborn and very sort of set on playing this direct style of football. So yeah, we were very direct. And then we've obviously gone to Brady, John Brady, who was our youth team manager. He's now uh, he's now in caretaker charge and looks like he probably will will get the job. I wouldn't be surprised if sort of tomorrow morning it was announced right after we've recorded this. But yeah, um, he, he um, plays the Kind of more the right way lets the players be a lot more you know expansive. I think after uh, after our first game under his um, charge, he said uh, players haven't had their mind stretched for a while. Um, so I think it's just getting that confidence now into the players, um, getting the confidence that they have got the ability to play Brady's way and have got the ability to pick up points and, and get out of it. And I think we've the reason we've been inconsistent so far this year, especially under Brady, is we've just thrown away results um, against Swindon on Saturday. We had a keeper. Coming out for a ball that he was just never going to get to, and Brett Pittman, one of your one of your former lads, had a um, an easy header at the back post. Again, our keeper should have saved Swindon's equaliser last weekend. Um, it was a free kick, but any of us probably could have got across and, and tipped over the bar. So yeah, we, we've kind of just been gifting gifting goals and silly things. You know, there was one game against Burton. I think that was Brady's first game where Key and Bolger played a back pass and then they scored from you know three yards out, which was just ridiculous. So. Yeah, the the playing style is all right. It's getting better. But like I say, if we cut out these silly errors, then I think our inconsistency can um, kind of drop off a bit and we can try try and be a bit more consistent and, and pick up results to stay in the league.
1: Uh, do you trust the players to adapt to the new way of playing?
0: Uh, <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, it's obviously Keith Curley who's brought them in to to suit his style. So whether or not they're going to be able to adapt... I'm not sure yet. They have adapted to be fair, um, okay so far. Um, like I said, they just seem to be a bit sort of, like Brady said, they haven't had their mind stretched. They need to, you know, have that creative freedom. There seem to be, I think under Curl, they, he probably lost the dressing room a bit. Brady was saying things in his interview, like players are slating each other when they're missing chances in training and, and doing shooting drills, which is um, something quite surprising to hear within within a football club. So, I think I do trust them. Um, I think the it's weird because last time we went down, you know, we the under Hasselbank, the players didn't really seem to care. Most of them were on loan. Um, I think it's different this time. I think mo- quite a few of them are playing for contracts. So yeah, I would say I trust them, but I guess you just you never know when you're in a relegation scrap. I I think right now it's impossible to call whether or not we'll go down.
2: What I really want to know from the start is where did you guys see yourselves this season? What were the expectations under Keith Curl? What did the fan base think? And um, how's that feeling really changed now with with him departing? So, you know, what were your expectations for the season?
0: Yeah, don't get me wrong, we were we weren't expecting to you know be in mid table or or be well clear of this relegation fight. We were expecting to, you know to be in it, and we've said all season. You know, if we finish 20th, I think it's the last place above the drop zone, isn't it? So if we finish 20th, you know, on goal difference, if we finish there by a point, it's been a successful season. We've stayed in League One and that's what we aim to do. Um, And that wasn't what was going to happen under Keith Curl if we'd have carried on the way we were going. So the expectation was, yeah, we're were going to be in a fight like this. Um, We didn't think it would be as tight as it is at the minute because, you know, if you look down there, there's like seven points between seven teams or something something ridiculous like that. So, yeah, we we were fully expecting to be where we are.
3: If um you finish in that position this season, let's say you avoid the drop-on goal difference, and as you say, that's pretty successful, right? You sort of consolidate mm-hmm. that place in League One. Is that where you see Northampton kind of belonging, without wanting to sound disrespectful, that is that where you see the club? Or next season, would you expect to see an improvement on that and sort of moving up the table? Or is it are you resigned to it sort of being a, a relegation battle most seasons, even if you stay up this year?
0: No, I'd expect a relegation battle. I think maybe for two or, two or three seasons after this one. I don't think, you know, if, if you're going to be in League One for 10 years and every year you're scrapping for relegation and there's no sign of progress or anything there, is there? So I think, yeah, um, but, you know, people all get stick for this, but I think we're a League Two club. Um, you know, we, we've never been able to sustain ourselves in League One for all the sort of the the equivalent of League One for more than three or four years, you know, the facilities just sort of that we have, we don't even own our own training ground, things like that. It just kind of all, I don't want to like moan at the club or anything, but it just all kind of screams League Two, the infrastructure, the fact we've got a half built stand that I'm sure you guys have probably seen. So yeah, we're, we're happy to be in League One and we, you know, as a fan base, as a fan, I would love us just to be sustainable in League One um, for as long as possible. So, yeah, I think maybe this season, next season, and if we stay up the season after that, which, again, is all going to be big asks, stay above that drop zone and then maybe try and push forward a little bit more after that.
2: Let's talk about a little bit of controversy going on with the manager. I know you talked about you know, the, the guys taking in now, taking over. There's a lot of chat about Sol Campbell coming in as a potential... Option that I've seen online, etc., is that just a load of chatter? Is that Sol Campbell just putting it out there? We all know it's like this image, right? So he just wants to get his name out there, and um, or is it really just something? where You know, is it chatter or is there any substance to it? From what you know, Matt,
0: I don't think there's anything um, in it in terms of what I've heard. I remember seeing something earlier earlier in the year that he suffered some kind of abuse when he came here. Came here for a game, so I don't know why. He, if, if that is true, I don't know if it's true or not. But if if that did happen, then I'm not sure if he'd want to come back and, you know, manage the club. But yeah, I think it's kind of just rumours. Like you said, we we all know what Sol Campbell's like. The board have been pretty rubbish in terms of telling us what's happening at the minute. You know, every every interview brady's been in charge of six games now um and every interview has been asked do you want the job do you want the job do you want the job and he just goes oh we've had positive conversations with the board we're having positive conversations in the board um and then the chairman when he sat keith curl that night they put out a sort of half an hour update on youtube and he just went oh we we're, we're going to start interviews next week we're going to sit down and discuss this next week and next week was you know nearly a month ago now so we've heard absolutely nothing from the board so whether it's true or not, I don't know. I hope it isn't because, you know, he was rubbish at Macclesfield. He was pretty rubbish at South End as well. So I'd rather he didn't come here. And I, I don't think the rumours are that strong. I think Brady would be pretty unlucky if he didn't get the job now with the way, especially now he's got a win under his belt and the way he's turned the playing style around. I, I'd be very shocked if Brady didn't get it. Would you back Brady for the first team job
1: on a permanent basis?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've told, I'm telling you guys now, I've told everyone I've I've laid eyes on. um, He was my kind of football coach when I was younger um, he, he owns like a kind of football coaching company to go into like primary school and do sessions and do like holiday clubs and stuff like that and he was kind of the owner of it and um, he was the coach that always came to our school so I was like oh I know John Brady I know the new cobbler's manager so yeah I'd 100% back him um, if you'd have asked me when Keith Kerr was sacked I'd have rather you know got somebody new in that kind of knew how to stay in the league but then you know, I was kind of like, well, who's actually out there that's available that's going to come and do that? Do we really want a character like Joey Barton here at Northampton with kind of the way our fans can kind of turn against managers quickly? No, not really. So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely back Brady. You mean I, you'd back anyone that comes into managing team, but there's any fan would. But just because of that kind of connection I have with him as well, I'd definitely back him to maybe not to keep us up. But if we went down to League Two. I'd back him to still, you know, be a decent side and then maybe a couple of years later to try and get back into League One and, and be sustainable there.
2: Matt, you, you must have some sort of funny story about your previous football coach then. What do people not know about him? You know, what is the, what's the goss? You know, is there anything that's happened? I mean, like in a positive way, like, has he ever said anything funny to you, like, you know, you must, you've obviously know him as a football coach. I mean, I definitely think there's got to be a story there
0: um i'm just trying to think really i'm i can't really think of any i was you know i was a primary school kid so i, I don't think he would kind of put out little digs or anything like that he was he was manager of a conference team brackley which are, are local to us um but i can't think of anything he's particularly done that was this funny um i remember he um he uh coached some he was he coaches at my school after school on a friday um and i was refereeing a game um and he was down there kind of getting ready to set up and just said hello. And then some other guy came along and started talking to him, and it just kind of, the, the attention kind of shifted to this other guy that he talked to, that he was talking to. Um, and then he messaged me on Twitter after that, and he was like, oh, you know, nice to see you. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to chat, chat for much longer. So that was quite nice of him. So, yeah, i have not, I can't remember anything kind of funny that he's done, but he's a really good guy. Um, I sent him a message on Twitter, you know, saying good luck with the job. And if you, you know, if you get it, you know, all the best. Um, and, he, and he replied to that saying, thanks very much sort of thing. So there's, there's nothing that I can think of that he's kind of done that was funny, but he's always been a, a brilliant guy. You know, he's always been approachable. You can always feel as though you can talk to him, which I guess you don't get anywhere kind of um, in terms of, especially with a, a club the size of, of Portsmouth as well, the kind of massive fan base that you've, that you've got. You probably don't get that kind of close connection with managers and players.
2: Well, I mean, we don't get that close connection, but let's be honest, mate we don't really have a connection at all at the moment in that sort of sense. So I don't think, I mean, Kelly Jackie doesn't use social media, so that's not really going to help. But I mean, maybe we can get a letter to him, lads. Maybe he'll respond via more traditional <laughs> media to us. But. <laughs> Telegram, Morse code. <laughs> Someone arrives on a horse or something delivering a hand- handheld letter.
1: <laughs> so do you think that approachable nature from Brady, do you think that'll help with the players now, especially since you were saying that Keith Cole lost the dressing room previously?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think he's definitely kind of got them on side and got them on board with with what he wants. Um yeah, like I say it's just the errors that just once the errors have, have been cut out, I think, you know, everyone will kind of be on board. I think most of the fan base are on board with him now, especially after last night. Um beating Plymouth was kind of extra special for for me personally um because in the reverse fixture um, I made a video, you can go and look at it on YouTube. Um, we lost and I kind of uh, had this massive outpouring of emotion and were just like saying things about Plymouth that I just, you know, didn't mean. Um, and I was just getting loads and loads of Twitter, uh, Plymouth fans on Twitter just coming at me and I was like, oh God, what, what have I done, to my, done for myself here? Uh, so we beat them last night and, you know, I got got my own back. Um, but yeah, back to, back to the actual question. Um, yeah, I think he's got these players on side and I think... Things I think we'll definitely give staying in League One a good go. I don't think, hopefully, I don't think we'll fall away and just kind of sit at the bottom uh, like people have. I think a lot of people are expecting us to do like these predicted tables and stuff that people are doing on Twitter. But I think we'll, we'll definitely um, give it a good go and I think Brady's definitely got the players on side to do that.
1: Don't worry about slagging off Plymouth, mate. It's an absolute
0: dive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a, they're a strange bunch, aren't they? You know, some of the things they were saying, like, I don't mind a bit of banter here and there, but they were like, you know, it was just like personal things. They were going onto like my Twitter, finding old pictures, and you know, posting them. All so I was just like, oh, "Come on, you know, bloody weirdos!"
2: <laughs> yeah, they only just got the internet in uh, in Plymouth, so they're just trying <laughs> to explore it now. Probably sorry, Andy, go mate.
3: We're all about making friends on the podcast with other clubs, are not we? Yeah. I think yeah. your <laughs> point there Matt, about like your point out about like predicted tables is quite interesting because on if you're doing the, the predictions for the weekend, Northampton just aren't one of those clubs that you ever sort of give the benefit of the doubt and then give the win to? If it's a game you're not sure about, you just, I don't know, subconsciously you don't think Northampton are going to nick three points. But I mean, you're you're up and about sort of the edge of the relegation zone. So you must be picking up points from time to time. I think the big question from a lot of Pompey fans is going to be, how's Bryn Morris getting on? Yes, I was oh, waiting for that one. Bryn how's Mor- our
2: pal Bryn Mor- <laughs> Was he dropped from the last game? Is that why you won?
0: Probably, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'd, um, I'd say we... He kind of arrived as a attacking sort of creative midfielder and someone that can kind of do that dirty work as well. So he can kind of sort of play anywhere in midfield. Um, we haven't really seen much of his kind of attacking play. He's been he's been fairly average. Um I mean we've got such a young squad at the minute. We've kind of given him the nickname of Uncle Bryn down here. Um, or so yeah, Uncle Bryn, he's he's all right. He hasn't really particularly made much of an impact on the team, but you can tell that there's there's a bit of quality there as well. But I don't know how you guys felt about getting rid of him because he was kind of in your team at the start of the season, wasn't he? And then just sort of was frozen out.
2: Uncle Bryn, that is absolutely classic. It sounds like, <laughs> like that
3: uncle that you like gets a bit too drunk at a wedding yeah, and gets a little bit a little bit too handsy with someone else in the family, is. and you're like, oh, not really sure about that. Yeah. Good One of the stories know, Northampton Bryn. fans
2: can't share. I think um I, I'm I'm gonna say Bryn Morris, yeah. Average is quite an interesting and fair assessment, I think, of a lot of his play. He's not someone who seems to be expansive and get the ball really moving into dangerous positions. But then again, Kenny Jacket sort of utilized him in this holding role in a 4-2-3-1 where he just sort of played parallel to Tom Naylor and passed the ball sideways a lot. He was out of favour at Pompey. And we've got a lot of good central midfielders really at the moment, you near know, the likes of Tom Naylor, the likes of Andy Cannon. You know, George Byers in from Swansea, Harvey White in from Tottenham. So you can see that. But I was interested to see if he went to Northampton and suddenly he was set set free and, you know, without all this expectation and pressure, he actually showed he had something about him. I think mm-hmm. most Pompey fans thought that wouldn't happen. So it's interesting to hear that that was the case. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the thing is, we've got um, Sean McWilliams, who's kind of one of our own. He made his hundredth appearance for us on... Um, on Tuesday. And he's a kind of real hard working midfielder. It, he's aggressive. You know, don't be surprised if he gets booked on, on Saturday afternoon. And then Ryan Watson's really seemed to hit form um, recently. I think he scored four in four, three and four or something like that. So um, it's kind of been between Jack Sowerby and Green Morris as to who kind of gets that final midfield position.
2: I'd love to see Morris play against us. Don't know about you boys, but I'd love to see him. We won't play, Willie. I'm sure the loan is it a loan. I wouldn't afford, so yeah, it'll be it's a loan, yeah,
0: isn't yeah. it? So it'll be one of them one of them uh, Maybe we've got is, a deal to, to let him contract. Maybe we've
2: got a deal to let him play. Maybe we deliberately left that in. You never know. You,
3: you're you're literally asking for it. This week we've already had one ex Pompey player score against us. Like we <laughs> it it doesn't need to become two in a week.
0: Well I'm sure, I'm sure John Marquis will get a few anyway, like he did in the in the reverse fixture to uh, send us all home in tears. So don't worry about that.
2: We're all so like down on the team after these performances. I mean, you're like saying, i we want to put it out there, Matt, because you're looking at these three <laughs> blank faces on this scene. Cool. Um, and we're all like, yeah, we'll sure we score. We're all like, oh. No, Mark we really
3: <laughs> scored two minutes ago in terms of football. He scored in the 93rd minute of a 94 minute game Hugh. So, I mean, he scored literally 90 seconds ago.
2: So what are you getting on his back for?
1: And what a finish it was, actually, as well. <laughs> it was quite underrated.
2: It was the biggest consolation goal you ever see in your life, though. Like, we were rubbish all game. And then, you know, the 94th minute with 20 seconds left, someone scores. 12. 12 seconds left, You it was. It was 93-48. <laughs> Good job, is all I can say to that. But, no... All right, Matt, let's look at the team. I was interested at the start of the season um, because there was a player that I really liked for you, and it was Charlie Goode. I thought he'd be a really shrewd signing for Portsmouth if he did go out and get Goode. I thought he was a good player. Not surprised to see him go to Brentford for about a million pounds, which I'm sure is something that, you know, helped fund the rest of your transfer budget or, or whatever. How big a loss has Goode been at centre back for you this season? And do you think he would have made a difference to your survival hopes again if he was there?
0: Yeah, he's absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. Um, it's not surprising that he was going to get snapped up at the end of the season. Um, I think a lot of Cobbler's fans kind of say if we'd have stayed in League Two and just sort of, you know, on points per game and just been all sort of quiet about it, we probably would have kept him next season and maybe he would have gone in January and people probably would have realised how how good, if you excuse the pun, uh, he actually was. But yeah, he was, um, it, it was always going to happen. I think he would have been massive. He's a, he's a massive leader um I, I don't know if you guys mind me swearing but he, he loves to get a bit of shit house with as well um you know he, he always go he always goes down under under kind of any touch and that's kind of what we were expecting in, in Danny Rose up front we haven't really seen too much of that but you know he was just brilliant to watch he's one of them players that if you if he, if he's playing against you you absolutely hate him you can't stand him he's you know unbelievable at the back and you know shit houses his way through games um and you know if if you playing for if he's playing for you you know you're absolutely loving that he's comedy gold and we had alan mccormack as well last year um in that midfield and i remember i think there was a goalkeeper down injured and we were on the attack or and and the ref stopped play and mccormack just picked up the ball and levered it at this player on the floor and that was just hilarious and good good was loving it as well but yeah he would have, he would have been massive to our to our survival but there was no way we were going to keep him and i think to get a million or a million and a half pounds coming in during a, a pandemic probably isn't such a bad thing after all
3: Where's that money gone, Matt? Has that gone into the club for survival? <laughs> Literally, I no
0: idea. <laughs> it's gone for survival. It's wasted. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it, it's a strange one because, you know, we started training on the pitch all season um, because we normally trained at this college. Um, but apparently there were privacy issues. You know, you know what the hell that means? I, I've no idea. Um, so it could have gone into kind of towards some kind of training facility or, or improving the pitches at the training facility. or I don't know where it's gone, but money seems to disappear whenever it comes to in here anyway. So it's not too surprising that we haven't seen it particularly spent that well.
2: Yeah, not at all. And let's go focusing a little bit more on the game now. And of what I want to know is tactics wise, how do you expect Northampton to approach the game against Portsmouth? Are you going to do this one of these things that, you know, you play Plymouth for instance, in the last game, they've got a very set philosophy on how they're going to play and they're going to play their game against whoever they play against opponent wise. How do Northampton approach teams? Are you a bit like Pompey, who seems to just play different formations, claiming to match up against the opponent's sort of formation? Or are you going to go in your own way about this? And uh, Do Northampton have a style they're going to play, basically, is my babbly answer to that question.
0: I think um, Keith Curl under Keith Curl every week we knew we were going to get direct three five two. you know let's go let's go and beat the beat the opposition I think with John Brady that's changed a little bit and it really showed I think last night particularly against Plymouth loads of Plymouth fans were saying to me amongst other things we're rubbish against teams that sit back against us and what did we do we went and sat back against Plymouth picked them off on the counter they couldn't they couldn't break us down you know they had we had 37 percent of the ball all game, so I think Brady will. You know, he watches the games back two or three times. He'll probably have watched two or three of your games. Um, so I think he is he is a tactician as well as kind of defensively in, in stopping the opposition. Um, but then going forward, it's kind of a bit more, you know, to to the players to kind of decide how that's going to work. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if we sit in again and then just try and pick you off on the counter. So yeah, I think that's probably what we'll do. We'll probably go four-three-three, and, and yeah, like I said, just get you know nine men behind the ball, leave one kind of up front, and then try and hit you on the break. I think
1: that's great news for Portsmouth because Portsmouth can't break through two banks of four at the moment. But um, <laughs> if if Northampton do set up in that with that counter-attacking mentality, who who are the, who will be the big players? Who will be the most important players for you? Where you think if they ha- if they get a performance, then Northampton might get a result.
0: Yeah, well, I think um, there's kind of a few. I think it's difficult at the minute because we were starting to see a, a team of individuals and now we're starting to see a real sort of collective team effort. So I think if everybody's playing well, the team will play well. If one person's kind of off, then that will kind of, I guess, sap the energy out of everybody else and that will kind of go, go a bit wrong. Um, Mark Marshall was completely frozen out under Keith Curl. He's a, um, we can play on the left or the right. Um, and Brady's brought him back in, and he got a hat trick of assists the other week against MK Dons. So he's been really good recently. Mikkel Miller as well um, seems to be sort of the clear sort of standout player in this team. He's on his way back from injury. So He's played forty-five minutes, sixty minutes, and seventy-five minutes in the last three games. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him play against Pompey. So yeah, they're the two wingers that will that will hit us with, have a bit of pace that um, can, can sort of get down the wings as well as um, Peter Kiosa right back. He's a, a young fullback he did really well at Bolton for the first half of the season Um, and then Luton recalled him and sent him to us Um, so yeah he's got a bit of pace about him can can uh, do across I compared him to Trent Alexander-Arnold the other week and he's nowhere near as good but in terms of he's much better kind of going forward and being creative than he is is at the back Ryan Edmondson up front a lot of Cobbler's fans seem to think he's kind of the next big thing he's on loan from Leeds I haven't really seen what he's brought to the table if I'm honest but he's he's kind of a big sort of target man but he's also got a bit of pace about him as well so I'd, I'd like to see him sort of cause you problems because we've not really i don't think to be to be personally honest that we've seen too much from him so far so i'd go for probably the front three but miller would michael miller number 14 um it'll be the guy i think to to watch out for and it and will make the difference if we win on saturday afternoon
2: cool all right let's get to the juicy bit then matt score prediction time what were you feeling? Oh,
0: well, I don't know. It's going to be a tough one. Um, I don't want to get to refereeing, but we, when, we have, when we seem to play these kind of bigger teams, we never seem to get anything against them in terms of, like, you know, just nothing goes our way. Nothing falls for us. We don't get any decisions given to us. Um, but I think that would probably be more kind of relevant if we were at Fratton Park, a bigger kind of arena. Um, but... I'd say, I don't know, I think we'll we'll get a point. I think we'll probably set up to get a point. I think you've probably got a bit too much for us um, in terms of probably at the back for us to maybe score more than one. So I'll take like a one-all draw or maybe we'll scrape a nil-nil, who knows one or draw yeah haven't
3: yeah. looked at the goals we've conceded recently Matt I'll
0: have to head on to YouTube honestly I'll if, if you need
3: a laugh look at the highlights of our last couple of games a couple <laughs> well, look, of
0: at, look at ours as well they're probably just as bad high scoring <laughs>
3: game then we can compare defensive yeah, lapses. 7 yeah, all Matt.
0: or something like that wouldn't it? <laughs> that's it
2: have a little read through if you go on to the uh, Pompey News Now thing we just put a tweet out asking for comments which we're going to go through on the podcast and uh, yeah have a, have a little look at those as well so it gives you a good cool. feeling of what's going on Matt it's been a pleasure, mate. Cheers, Colin, on the podcast. No worries. And uh, where can people find you? Uh,
0: so, yeah, we're just on YouTube. Um, it's Cobbler's Vlogs. It's kind of spelt, um, as it said. I don't know why I say that. People ask me. Um, but, yeah, Cobbler's Vlogs on YouTube. So, yeah, if you want to come and check us out, hit the subscribe button, all that sort of YouTube stuff, Then that would be awesome.
3: Yeah, do hopefully, that. Hopefully, Matt, hopefully at the end of this one, you'll be going off on a rant at uh, the Pompey fans instead of Plymouth. Sorry to interrupt <laughs> you there. You.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that would be probably it'd probably be better if we lost like five nil or something because then i'll be able to rant and shout and all that sort of stuff and then i get more views so <laughs> i'll take that to be fair
2: that's it go check out matt's stuff um and matt does stuff with us on the fan hub group so people go check him out all right mate, Cheers, mate. um we'll s- yeah we'll see how it goes um <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast this
0: podcast is a proud member of the fan hub 100 football without fans is nothing so we've partnered with fan hub to put fans first Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey.
2: Thanks, Matt, for coming on the podcast. And I think we actually gave him a little bit of hope there, boys, by mistake. Hopefully, that doesn't feed back to the Northampton team.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we we certainly made him feel better about his side, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. we gave,
2: we gave him the Northampton uh, lads a bit of uh, a bit of hope there, which is uh, an interesting one. But it's fair to say that my takeaway from that chat with Matt is that we all put right Northampton off. I mean I actually looked at the fixture and thought oh this is one we'll win legitimately I didn't really think about it, and Andy made that point in the in the in the uh, in the interview that you know you look at Northampton and you don't expect them to win, but Pompey have got to go and try and get some points against a team who have got a new manager in in the sense of the manager's been promoted from from within they're playing better football, they've just beaten Plymouth who we we couldn't beat. This is not going to be an easy game, is it?
1: It should be an easy game. They've the, they scored the lowest amount of goals this season and they've got the lowest XG as well. So No, no. Stats, stats mean
3: nothing at this point, Fred. Over the course oh. of the last... Se- I'm sorry, I, I have to disagree with that. All right, you can Looking flat, at the last six can... months, mate, look, you cannot judge this on XG, etc. Look at the trajectories of the clubs involved. You cannot just base this on XG. I I've do seen think them we'll play. Result, they're not very but...
1: good at going forward. It, it, it shouldn't be a, a tough game. It, might, it probably will be now. But, I mean.
2: Look, right. Stats or no stats. Pompey played Northampton in the season. Yeah. They were by far the better team. They were the better team. Northampton played a bit of all right football, but it looked like a League One versus League Two game. It did, in my opinion, in the class of how teams played. All right. I think Freddie's got a fair point to say that Northampton aren't a good attacking team. I think you can see that from an, from an expected goals pace just on the fact they don't create many chances. And they have always been this very long ball, get the ball up, who fit up sort of team. And that doesn't usually create a lot of high danger chances. That's just how, how it is. You're not going to get chances as much from doing that sort of football. However, they've sort of changed the stance of the way they play. So... XG over a season is a little bit irrelevant, I suppose, to this Northampton team because they are a different team than they were five games ago.
3: Yeah, that's exactly it. Thank you. I, as you say, the change in style, the change in manager and the fact that for, for me, they've they set out in a fairly obvious way. It looks like they've got low, a lot of low scoring draws against teams in the top half of the table. And, yeah, XG doesn't take into account things like the style of attack and how that matches up, whether you're playing against, you know, a long ball against a back three or sort of playing along into the wings, ex- exploiting the space on the wings and the defensive side of a back three or, yeah, targeting centre-backs who aren't particularly good in the air or pacey or whatever. For me, it, it's it's too broad and too general over the course of a season. But, I mean, it's still on paper, it's still a game we should win. But how many times have we said that? How many times this season have we said that and then it's not materialised?
2: Yeah. I mean, Northampton lost 2-0 to Burton. Drew with Ipswich when Ipswich was doing awful. Lost to MK Dons 4-3. Drew 0-0 with Rochdale. Lost 2-1 to Swindon. And then beat Plymouth 2-0. Looking at those games, there's not really any blowout games, even though some of them are against lower-level teams in the league. It's been fairly close. It's not been, you know, it's not been a a blowout situation. And I know Switch have been bad. They draw nil-nil there. They play Rochdale, who generally can see goals and score goals. Nil-nil there. So I think that they're going to set up quite defensively against us, who they'll see as a team, maybe regardless of form, that can score goals and cause them problems. I do expect them to sit back, as Matt was saying, and try and hit us on the counter. That's going to cause us problems because Pompey don't seem to be able to break down teams who do that. And then what's going to happen? A lot like the Gillingham game, they get a free kick in their own half or just about in our half. Everyone's up for it. Centre back's going forward. I can see it now. Hands in the air. Pompey need to get a grip at the back now. They need to work out how to win a header again. Sean Raggett's an exceptional player in the air usually. He's up there in the stats, I'm sure Freddie can tell me this, for players in the league. However, he's not doing it at the moment. So whatever's wrong, we've talked about it to death in this podcast. Sort it out, get the basics right, and we've got the ability to beat Northampton.
3: That's it, it's the basics. That's exactly it. If we'd done the basics right over the past four games, five games, it would have been a different story. It's the really simple sort of football one-on-one that at League One level you expect to be being done correctly that has cost us.
2: Yeah. All right then, let's get to the juicy bit, boys, because it's time for us to make our score prediction time. Now, I know by looking at your faces here after this greatly positive episode that everyone is really excited about this part of the podcast, so let's bring it in. Freddie Webb, I'm going to go to you first, mate. Le lucky man. <laughs> How are you feeling about this game, and
1: what is your score prediction? It's going to be a 1-1 draw. It's going to be a 1-1 draw. I don't. Uh, um, it, With the Defensive frail El- with the individual defensive frailties. El- I don't see Portsmouth getting a clean sheet, even with Crowe, McGivern, and Goal. And I, tr- I I do trust this side uh, that this side could get another goal, but I, I don't. Uh, it might be just be looking at the previous games and beginning a negative mood, but I don't see them getting three points out of this.
2: Andy,
3: I'll go with a two-one win. I, I don't think it's going to. Well, it's definitely not going to be a pretty game because, as you say, there's going to be a definite game plan from Northampton that doesn't really play to our strength in terms of quick breakdowns as things have been recently I think a 2-1 win scrappy 2-1 win and then a lot of faux positivity coming out from the dressing room afterwards that's that's my plan and that's not me I want three points I'm not going to complain about three points if we get it but I think it will be used as a as a uh, an excuse for a lot of positivity and used as sort of a an inaccurate yardstick of what things are like behind the scenes at the moment.
2: Cool, and I'm going for a ever-eventful nil-nil draw. And the basis on that is that, yes, I think Pompey have got a mistake in him. Um, but I think that those mistakes against Northampton, who aren't really a great attacking side, maybe they don't capitalise on those mistakes. Nil-nil. And we go get a point. So, yeah, be, be happy for that. And hope that the teams around us don't pick up three points. I just left that hanging out there.
3: Yeah, it's I, I don't even know what to respond to it. It's so frustrating. It's, it's stunningly frustrating with the positive response that comes out from mediocre results. I mean, we haven't actually done the interview to death and really picked it apart. All right. But it's just... Sorry, mate.
2: I, I thought my microphone is muted if I'm honest
3: no no that, I know it's, it's not something we need to do tonight but the the, the acceptance that a, a one-all draw with Gillingham is a wonderful result then they're like 15th in the table and being really pleased with the players after a 3-1 after a uh, sorry a 2-1 defeat to Doncaster and it's the, the yeah the sort of the vibe coming out of the club and the choice of words sort of the semantic right words it's just not it's not that you like it's not a narrative that you would have from a side that is around the top of the table.
2: It's just not. Yeah. And on that note, until next time, Cloud Pompey. you have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple podcasts. Follow PO forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more
0: information. And there is the full-time whistle.